Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Well, good evening, everybody. Man, we are glad you're here, and we need to pray for everybody that's under the allergy pollen spell or whatever it is that's going on. Amen. The Lord touched them. Uh, different ones were contacting my wife, and some were contacting me, and I'd send her a text and say, from such and such, and I get a text from her, says, from such and such. And then remember Malone, he's getting texts too from people. So, I mean, you just never know. Always have your phone open. Someone might be letting you know that they're not going to be here. So, amen, but we're thankful, amen, for that. And uh, we are in our series of the book of Ruth, and uh, the way that I see it next week, we'll probably close this series down, all right? Not like I'm shutting it down, but uh, we'll be finished, be finished with this series. Going to Luke chapter number four, I'm going to read the first uh, six verses there. We have a new member of that first apostolic church here tonight, Raya, after a long stint and stay in the hospital is home, and beautiful baby girl. And uh, so we're happy for uh, Sean and Maddie, and I know that they can't be any more excited to have her home uh, rather than traveling back and forth uh, to, and such. And so, and yeah, there's more than one way to grow a church. You just <laughs> keep having those babies. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, so we're glad to have them. Amen. Back tonight, Raya with us. Amen. This evening. Ruth chapter number four. Good to have Jersey. I told her I'm going to give her a different name when she has glasses. I'm going to figure an alternate, like, personality type thing out. When she has glasses, I'll call her one thing. That's when I first met her with glasses, so that was Jersey. So I guess the one without glasses was what I'm going to have to come up with. Uh, so non-Jersey, Jerseyless. I mean, I don't know what's going on. We'll figure it out. But <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> Ruth 4 and verse number 1. I'm going to read about six verses of Scripture here. The Bible says, Then went Boaz up to the gate and set him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by unto whom he said, Ho, oh, such a one. That is such a peculiar phrase. Uh, <laughs> there's one in, like in the Old Testament too that says, Ho, ho, goeth north or something. And they, they're always a joke about that Santa Claus in the scripture, but nonetheless. Uh, anyway, ho, oh, such a one. Turn aside. <laughs> Someone just now grasped what I just said, right? Someone just now grasped what I said. That's okay. We're here for the fast and the slow. That's catching on. It doesn't matter. Turn aside. Sit down here. Still in verse number one here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the 
dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it. Boy, things have changed real quick. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Amen. For a little while, I want to talk along this subject matter of redeeming love. Redeeming love. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we need your help in this service. God, through this lesson, God, through searching the scriptures one more time, God, we know they are applicable to our lives. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us in the next few moments. God, to come to the reality of that redeeming love, Jesus, not just found in the book of Ruth, but found in the story of our lives. God, with you as our Savior, in the name of Jesus Christ, that I pray, amen. The church say amen. amen. And you may be seated tonight. If this is disappointing tonight, come back Sunday and Sister McGee will just be able to straighten it all out and, and make it better, amen, for you. We left last week, if you remember, our, our emphasis was on waiting, right? Ruth was, uh, she went to the, the floor, her, her life since she's gotten to Bethlehem, Judah has been basically a wait, she knows, she understands there's some interest in her from Boaz and she's been waiting. She goes to the threshing floor, does what she, Naomi told her to do. She's waiting. Uh, Boaz says some things. She lays back down and waits. He leaves, she waits. And so Naomi told Ruth that Boaz, in the closure of the last chapter, that he would not rest until he had finished the matter concerning her inquiry about, really, about marrying her. And so we were left last week with the assurance that while Ruth waited, that Boaz was working. That just because you might be in a mode of waiting doesn't mean that something isn't taking place. And that gives us confidence as we looked at last week with our own kinsman redeemer, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that even he is active many times while we are at a stalemate or we're trying to be patient or we're trying to wait ourselves. And the thing is this, and what we must understand is what, what seems like forever to us is really just a moment for God. Because he's not bound by time like we are. He is, he is a God that reigns in eternity. He is the eternal God. The scripture says now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. So he's not bound by time like you and I are. He works on a different realm and element. He, he does things in eternity that he'll use time to reveal, all right? But he's not bound by time. Second Peter 3 and verse number 8, the Bible says, But beloved, be not ignorant for this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Again, God's timetable is not equal to our timetable. Peter is making a simile here, a figure of speech here, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. He didn't say one day is with the Lord a thousand years, but he's making comparison. It's as, a simile, as a thousand years. And he's most likely quoting from the book of Psalms 
which seems to be in the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter number 90 and such, seems to be contrasting the eternity of God with our lives upon this earth, which the scripture says we're given around 70 years is what's appointed unto man. I know there's some that go beyond that. There's some go beyond underneath that but scripture says we're given about 70 years 70 to 80 years upon this life and that's the reason why we should be taught to number our days because we're here just a brief moment but when you take our lifespan and you compare that to eternity I mean it is the most minuscule drop of water in a ocean of water right except you can still put measurements on the ocean and eternity is endless uh, meaning no beginning and no ending. It, it it's kinda, can't be measured in either direction. And so that's why sometimes it can seem for us concerning the Lord that we've been waiting so long for you, God. Been waiting for you so long to uh, intervene and do so and so forth. Well, that might seem a long time to us, but what type of time does that seem to an eternal God? I mean, a decade to him is just, you know, how does that compare to endless time, Right? And so, not very long, probably. Not very long. And so, up until now, what has happened between Ruth and Boaz, as we get in chapter number four, what's happened between, by and large, has been, has been private, a private matter, uh, outside just of a few people. Uh, Naomi, of course, of course, knows about it because she and Ruth has girl talk, you know, about these things. And... Uh, and, of course, some of the maidens and of the other servants that are in the field where uh, Boaz has and that Ruth goes to work, they, they might be able to be picking up on a little bit of Boaz's developing interest in the new hay, handmaiden in town, perhaps as well. But by and large, this whole thing that's happening between them is private. But now it is being taken to the public sector. It's taken to the public sector and what's about ready to take place and what's going to unfold needs to be sanctioned or needs to be imprinted and okayed by the law. And witnesses need to be involved in order uh, for this thing to take place the way it should take place. And it was necessary because the law of that day had kept both Naomi and Ruth in a holding pattern of hopelessness. They are without hope if they do not have a redeemer. The law's the, the one that has prescribed this. It, the law required a redeemer to redeem the land. The law required these types of things, and without them, they are in a hopeless condition. They don't, they don't have that nail to be able to own the property or to be able to uh, work the land or have other people with it because, again, this is a, a largely of time male-driven society, and I'm not saying that to be some chauvinistic pig. I'm just saying that's the way it was in their culture and that day. Day. That's the way it was. And so they were in a hopeless condition. Although Boaz was a kinsman, he is keeping himself under the law because he knew there was another kinsman that was nearer, as the Bible says it, that was nearer than he was. And so he wanted to afford this other person the opportunity to be the kinsman redeemer of Naomi and Ruth that was near to him. He was going to abide by the law. And so we say like, boom, good job. Boaz, a, a law-abiding citizen of Bethlehem, Judah, that's, that's not trying to go around or, or make this thing happen happen or design it in some way for it to happen thank goodness for Boaz and it's in that that we see even a glimpse of our own kinsman redeemer Christ Jesus all right it's in that very sake of Boaz keeping the law that we see even our own redeemer because Christ did not sidestep the law 
to acquire our redemption. He didn't. He didn't do, as New Testament Scripture says, he didn't do away with the law. He didn't destroy the law. He didn't abolish the law. Bible says that he fulfilled the law. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 5 and verse 17, Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. And fulfill he did. It doesn't take but just a little bit of reading in the Gospels. Get your feet wet in the Gospel of Matthew. And there's several prophecies of the Old Testament that Matthew starts drawing the line of connection to that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled some of the words of the Old Testament prophets. But also in the New Testament, it is emphasized that Jesus died the death that humanity ought to have died. That Jesus died the, de the death, that I should have died, that you should have died. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament law prescribed it like this. It said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. That was the law. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And yet Christ Jesus, this man Christ Jesus, who the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, who knew no sin, bore my sin bore your sin in his body, according to 1 Peter 2. But not just that, then he died our death. The Bible says, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That was the Old Testament law. And here's Christ strung high and wide upon Mount Calvary upon a tree. But he didn't destroy the law. He fulfilled the law. The, the man that sins, he shall die. He says, okay, then I'll take their sins and I'll put them on my account. I, I, I'll change accounts with them. I'll give them my righteousness and I'll take their sins and place it on my account so that the soul that sinneth, their sins are on my account, then I'll do the dying. So he didn't step around that. He wasn't finding a shortcut to it. Amen. He fulfilled the law in being the one that died for the sins of humanity. And so with that, we have Christ that accepted the demands of the law upon himself. And he met the needs, what was necessary from the law. And we start to think, right, as humanity, why in the world would he do that for fallen humanity? Why would Christ do that for a group of people that are prone on failing? I mean, it's like, look at Scripture, right? Some of the great heroes of faith, they're flawed lives. They made mistakes. They had sin. They made multiple mistakes. He said everything's all right. They'd do it again, right? Do it again, right? Do it. I mean, why in the world would he go to a tree? Why would he die for fallen humanity? Why would he do that for humanity? One reason. Love. Love. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Galatians 5.14, for all the law is fulfilled in, everybody say, one word. Now what's about ready to come is a phrase, but it said one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He said all the law is fulfilled in one word. What is the one word being referred to in the phrase? Love. He said all the law. It's fulfilled in that. He didn't do away with it. He didn't sidestep it. He didn't shortcut it. Amen. He fulfilled it, and he fulfilled it by his love. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the same love that drove Boaz to remedy the, the redemptive matters for Naomi and Ruth needing their land, needing an inheritance, needing a name to go on, uh, needing, if you will, someone to work the field. The same love that compelled Boaz to acquire Ruth's hand in marriage is the love of Christ Jesus that he had for us and has for us. It's not unlawful. He fulfilled the law. He satisfied the law in securing your redemption and my redemption. It came to you free at a cost to him. Right? Everybody loves something free. Oh, look, it's free. Ah. You know, I love being a kid, you know. Whenever we were kids, they actually had toys in the cereal boxes, right? Not just stickers and some coupon that you can get online. No, they actually had the real McCoy. And so whenever you could get three army men and, you know, snapjacks or whatever, that's what you bought. And it was like, Mom, look, this is free. And she's trying to tell me we paid money for this. It's probably built in the price, you know. But look, it's free. Like everybody loves something free because it's like I get it, no, no, no cost. But it does cost someone something. You're free is someone else's cost. And love said, I'll pay the cost so it will be free to them. Amen. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says these words, but when the fullness of time was come, Here's, here's, here's part and parcel, amen, the, 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 the journey of Christ Jesus. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, look now, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Do you understand what happened right here? God, God sent forth his son, and as Corinthians tells us, to wit that God was in Christ, right? He came for, down in the form of man, amen, that we know as Christ Jesus. He was made under the law for the purpose of redeeming the people that were under the law. Jesus Christ made himself subject to the law for the purpose of redeeming the people that were under the law. He says, I got to get to where they're at. Amen. And that's, we, we, the old song says, he left his throne in glory. And that is the thing. Philippians talks about him condescending, him coming down. Amen. He who was rich became poor. That through, amen, his poverty, we might be made rich. Amen. That is the condescension, him coming down under the law to redeem those that were under the law. And so, had Boaz in our story ignored all the particulars of the law, someone would have been standing in line to call his hand on it. What I'm saying is this. If he tried to be the redeemer outside of the scope of the law, someone would be like, oh, no, no, no can't do that. So unfair. Right? <laughs> They had been labeling whatever he was trying to accomplish outside of the lines of the law. They, well, that's unlawful. And, and so since you did that in an unlawful way, then what you did was invalid. Not valid at all. And so Boaz couldn't risk that. That's the reason why he's saying there's a kinsman nearer and I got, you know, offer that first and then me. He's very proper about all this. He couldn't risk that. 
He loved much, yes. Did he love Ruth? Oh, honey, just look at the grain she brings home every day. Right? I mean, whoop! Ladies, you know a man loves you when you bring home a lot of grain. I don't know. That's good for that culture. It don't really fit today, but... <laughs> you know, today they look at the size of the carrots and the engagement ring. Back then they looked at the grain. Oh, girl, look at that grain. <laughs> That's a six-bushel grain. Oh, you got a seven-bushel grain. We count carrots, they counted bushels. <laughs> he loved much, right? But his love was answerable to the law. And whenever we become peddlers of the love of God, please understand this, please understand this. When we become peddlers, like we exemplify the Lord in our lives and become peddlers of his love, it is not a love that's void of precepts and statutes and regulations. It's an intense love that meets the requirements for that which is desired. It's a love that is not avoiding the law, but answerable to the law. So in part, and we, we're getting a little ways here tonight. We're almost getting into verse 1. In part, that's why Boaz is headed to the city gate because the city gate was known to be the place of business transactions. This is where they held their business. This is where they made contracts. Not only that, common knowledge for him is this is also the place that gives access to every farmer that's inside the city, access to his pastures outside of the city wall. And so this next kinsman who is also in husbandry or in farming, he knows that if I get to the gate, he has to pass through the gate sometime from get to the town to his fields. And so he's sitting there daily knowing that men are going to their fields and the likelihood of meeting this other kinsman is going to be at the city gate. And Boaz is not disappointed. He's sitting there and this other relative or kinsman passes by. He invites the man to sit down. And here's, here's something just for right now to keep in your mind. We're never told the name of this other kinsman, which is a little peculiar. He's of near kin than Boaz, but he remains nameless. We're never given the name of this other individual. No doubt, I hope, I mean, I hope, kin to Boaz, oh, surely Boaz knew his name. <laughs> Sister Sheila's shrugging her shoulders, I don't know. Surely he knew his name. It was his relative. They lived in the same town for crying out loud. He knew who he was looking for, so he knew the man. But it's not recorded in our story. Where the King James Version says, Boaz said, the phrase that we kind of chuckled at as we read it, oh, such a one. <laughs> I mean, here's your relative that you probably know the name of, and you're like, oh, such a one comes in. <laughs> Could you imagine next time? <laughs> I mean, if I did that to Bishop, you know. <laughs> Brother Mason, oh, such a one come play. 
Amen. <laughs> so, and there's other translations. You can read in, in different translations. Some of it interpret that whole such a one as though he said like, be like Mr. So-and-so or Mr. Such-and-such. Again, no name given. And I just looked at it. In Hebrew, it is even a little, it's a little funny because it's kind of playing on things sounding similar. It's Poloni Almoni. I'm telling you the truth. Poloni Almoni. And again, in Hebrew, it is just kind of, it's nameless. Almost like hodgepodge, helter-skelter, Poloni Almoni. We never know. When you go back to chapter number 3, verse 12, Boaz says himself, there is a kinsman near nigh, nameless. You read verse 3 of our text, he said to the kinsman. Verse 6, and the kinsman said. Verse 8, therefore the kinsman said, nameless. If you go back even to chapter 2 and verse number 20, Whenever Ruth comes home and she realizes that she has been in Boaz's field, she says that Boaz is one of our next kinsmen. Realizing that there's another, perhaps a nearer one, but never, not even Naomi, mentions his name. We never learn the name of this kinsman. And he's, entered to, he's introduced to us, nameless. He exits the story, nameless. This is just... Conjecture on my part, because anyone unwilling to attempt things for God and who measures their involvement by how they will be benefited by it should never be known by somebody else. It must have been known, but the author doesn't share it with us. Because why identify a helpless kinsman. Why recognize a self-absorbed kinsman? Because this nameless individual is the antithesis, if you will, to Boaz. <laughs> this nameless individual hopes to gain quite lucratively without much loss. He wants to get the land without really having to invest much. He wants to get more out of the deal than he has to give for the deal. Yet, on the side of Boaz, he's ready to lose whatever is necessary for what he loved, or perhaps even said a little more correctly, he never sees it at a loss to begin with. This guy is over here. The nameless one's counting peanuts, right? He's, he, he's doing all the math and he's figuring it all out. This is how much I invest and this is my probable return. And he's doing the profit loss statements, Brother, brother uh, uh, Malone, and, and the, the, the value of what's happening. Amen. But Boaz is like, it doesn't matter. I'm all in. I love her. See, love doesn't ask the price. Love doesn't ask a price. That goes with God. And let me just say with everybody with relationships, if love is asking the price, they are not somebody worth loving you. Woo! Get you a tin bushel. Get you a tin bushel guy. 
Hallelujah. It doesn't ask the price. But it's not, he's not figuring it out on paper. He's not crunching the numbers and saying, is this going to be worth my while? Or is this going to be worth my time? Is this going to be worth my, my investment? No, but the nameless guy, he is. Or he would not eventually come forth and say, I can't mar my inheritance. Hmm. See, there's two types of people. Those who do what they do for credit and gain or something to that effect and then those who do it because of love. Love will serve with no questions asked. Love will serve because it's, it loves serving the object of what it's serving because it loves it. But the other type, it wants to be served. Love wants to be a benefit. The other type, they want to be benefited. See, there are groups that they desire everything be handed to them and yet they're still the first to say it wasn't fair or worth it. <laughs> they're the ones that if, if you're telling them, hey, you're walking to McDonald's, say, hey, I want to buy your meal, they look at you and ask and say, can we go somewhere else? Well, glory. <laughs> hey, man, can we go somewhere a little better? My mama told me beggars couldn't be choosers. That's what my mom always said. <laughs> Do you know what separates a redeemer from a cheap steak? A cheap skate? Do you know? Because you look at the qualifications, look at the qualifications of the Redeemer. We've looked at this a dozen times. Does any, can anybody tell me the qualifications of the Redeemer? Because I've preached this and taught this for the past several, several years. What? One of them is you've got to be able to pay the price. Anybody know what another? Got to be willing to pay the price. That's all right. There's only, there's only one other qualification. You've got to be related. You've got to be kin. Those are the three qualifications. The only thing that separates a redeemer from a cheapskate is that both a redeemer and a cheapskate can be related to you. And both of them are able to pay the price. The difference between the two is this. One's willing, the other one isn't. Amen. One's willing, the other isn't. And so Boaz is related He's able to pay, but what separates him from the one that's closer is he's willing to pay. We've looked at this many times, but I bring it to you tonight concerning our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He, he came down. The Bible says in Philippians talks about he came down in the likeness of men, in the fashion of man, right? He didn't come down as an angel. He came down as the seed of Abraham, right? He became a part of the family right? In the beginning was the Word, John 1, 1. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 14, 
right? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we begot his glory. We beheld his glory as the only begotten, the father full of grace and truth. He became a part of the family. He came, was made of a woman under the law to redeem them that were under the law. He became our kin, but then he had to be able to pay the price. It's awesome because him becoming a part of the family also gave him the ability to pay the price because the Bible speaks how God is a spirit. Amen. And one place he talks about him not having flesh or blood in the book of Hebrews. But whenever God made himself a body, the man Christ Jesus, it has bones, it has flesh, it has organs. More importantly, it has blood. And Hebrews says, and it's going back to Leviticus, that without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption of sins. It says in the epistles that there was redemption only through his blood. So it required blood in order to pay the price. The blood gave him the ability to pay the price. And if it would have stopped there, it'd been nothing more but just, an, and I'm not trying to be dishonorable, a cheapskate. But he was willing to pay the price. The Bible says in the gospels and also in the letters that he came and became a ransom for all of humanity you know what that is not just being able but being willing not just talking about it but doing it hallelujah not just saying you know something should be done about that but him coming down and taking care of business himself don't tell me he didn't calculate the blood that would fall at Calvary did he? I don't know if he did. You know what he said as he left glory? It's worth it. That's the language of love. That's the language of love. Now, this no-name relative, Mr. Cheapskate, was ready in the scripture here to redeem the land of Naomi. He was ready to redeem the land until he learned about the responsibility. Buying the land would be my privilege. I can increase my portfolio. <laughs> this estate, awesome. But Raising a child at Mary and Ruth? Raising a seed? That's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> you can start separating people whenever there's not just perks, but perks and responsibility. But from my experience, privilege and responsibility are sides to the same coin. Ruth 4 and verse 5 says, Then said Boaz, here it is. Because <laughs> after all this, he's like, The land? Yeah. He says, I'll redeem it. That's what the no name says. I'll redeem it. And then Boaz leans in a little bit more. I love this. Because it's as though he gave him enough and he set the hook. And then he's like, Now let's see how serious you are. <laughs> About being the redeemer. Then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi? Thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess. Look, this is really the only time we ever see 
Boaz mentioning Ruth as the Moabitess. Any other time, it's always been daughter this, daughter that, term of endearment, you know, daughter, daughter, daughter. Now he's using Moabitess. <laughs> he's, he's just bringing up that she does have a labeled past. Oh, are you willing to redeem? Woo! Are you really, really, really willing to redeem all of this and this lady that has this labeled past? That if we go back in the past is a little bit cloudy between the Israelites and us and all, you know, got some bad blood. Are you really, are you ready to redeem Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance? Because let's look, right? Elimelech died. Elimelech died. His land should have went to his sons, Chile and Malone. But guess what? They're both dead too. So he's saying, you, you, you're not just redeeming the land of Elimelech, of Naomi, but you're, you're redeeming the land of Ruth. You're, you're, you're redeeming the land of these other two. And here's Ruth also. She's a young widow. She still could have children. There still could be offspring. There still could be a raising up of the name. So if you redeem it of Naomi, you must redeem it of Ruth also and raise a seed to her deceased husband's name. If you, he's saying, if you buy the field no name, you get the bride. But the no-name wanted the privilege of the property without the obligation of the marriage. <laughs> right? But I was like, you know what? I mean, it would be best if you raised children to the name of the dead because your privilege entails a responsibility. Now, if not by law, because I've looked at this, I've studied it, I've read till my brains have fell in my head and I put them back in. But we have two things here. We have the law of the, 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 the redeemer and we have the, the leveret law, which is the law that speaks that if, if a woman's husband dies before she has seed, then the brother should come and raise up seed and so on and so forth. We've looked at this before. It's not as though that there's a direct crossover between these two laws. And so Boaz is saying, if not by law, if it, if it doesn't come into the classification of the law of the Redeemer, then at least the spirit of the law should be you having enough kindness and appreciation and love and affection for what you've invested in that you would do this deed unto Ruth. And so it's not easy to know for sure whether the law of the Redeemer included the practice of the Leveret law too or not. Nonetheless, Boaz implies if you buy the land, it only seems right to raise seed, amen, with Ruth so that someone will inherit the land that you're purchasing. Well, that goes totally against the idea of Mr. No Name. I want the land, and if there's no heir, that stays with me and my children. But if I take the land and I also take Ruth as a bride and she has offspring, the land that I purchased when that child is born doesn't go to my family. It goes to that child. So what it comes down to is this, is the first kinsman is not interested in an obligation whose cost is going to exceed his payout. Let me put it in terms like this. Some people aren't interested in ministries. I'm not talking about preaching and teaching ministries. I'm talking about ministries around the church. Some people are not interested in ministries. 
whenever their investment is going to supersede their payout because they've done the numbers. So much time per week. <laughs> Deal with kids. Sister Erica. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But if this man truly bought Naomi and Ruth's land and cared for them both, hmm, that's going to cost some money. And if I have children with Ruth and she has children, that's going to cost some more money. And then if her children inherit the land that I initially bought, it's almost like paying for it twice. I mean, it's just like giving stuff away around here. That's even more expensive. And so what does he say? Look at verse number six. This is important. The way it's termed here in the King James particular is very important. And in the, uh, the original language, I cannot, this is his response to Boaz, Mr. No Name, I cannot redeem it. Notice he doesn't stop there. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself. And therein lies the problem. He thought he was redeeming these things for him rather than redeeming it for them. Woo, someone say amen. He says, I can't redeem it. Number one, it's not a matter of cannot. You've got some deep grain pockets. It's not, it's not a cannot. It's a will not. And he cannot do it though for himself. What he's saying is, I'm not going to be really all that benefited from this. I can't, I redeem in this. I want to get something out of, I got to get something out of this. But redemption was never about the redeemer. Redemption is always more about what is being redeemed. That's where the love connection is toward that which Christ didn't redeem you necessarily for himself he redeemed you because you had a need of redemption you were in need of being redeemed and thank God he had that type of love for, for us that he had me and mine when he redeemed he yeah he had you in mind whenever he redeemed. And so when we look at Ruth, the, the food that they would need, the land that they would have, the continuance of their name and their family, the inheritance, all of it, you know what it's answered by? It's answered by a redeeming love. Not somebody that could, but somebody that would. It was all answered by a redeeming love. Someone that wasn't calculating, someone that wasn't sitting there counting the cost, but someone that was so wrapped up in a love relationship with what needed to be redeemed he said wait a minute amen I'm just telling you if you don't I will amen if you don't I will and the no name says this could mar my inheritance <laughs> he's interested in the property not the person he has no interest in raising sons and daughters and so there is there is a legitimate social perhaps financial cost with taking Ruth as a potential bride Perhaps the kinsman thought it could mar my inheritance by virtue of, as Boaz pointed out, marrying a woman that's a Moabitess or at least has a past label as a Moabitess. Hmm. Folks, we get in grand trouble when we start measuring our potential for redeeming based upon people's past. Hmm. A 
Lullaby. Wheel. An alcoholic. Wheel. An addict. Wheel. We become, we become choosers of who's capable of being redeemed. Because there's some when they get redeemed, you're going to have to deal with the fact that there is a labeled past that they have. Well, ask me this. Who's here that don't have a labeled past? Were you a cheater, a one that slept around and a liar and all this stuff? Let's just boil it down to this. Were you a sinner before you came to God? Label enough. <laughs> Label. Oh, but they did things really bad. Well, you know what? The Bible says liars are going to bust hell wide open just as much as the fornicator. They're... Get into these degrees and levels, you know. Well, they were a motorbike, and I was only a Hittite, and Joe over there was a mosquito bite. <laughs> you got to have fun sometimes, folks. Well, if that's the case, let's go all the way to the book of Matthew chapter number 1 and let's read the genealogy of genealogies of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to talk about inclusion of past labels. Let's look at the lady Tamar that's involved in his genealogy who was a widow, much in a similar predicament as Ruth. Uh, Her her husbands and the Leverite law went uh, on and uh, on and air. Both both had, 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 and they died, and and she's left seemingly with no husband and no rearing. And so she's a widow that poses as a prostitute. She's a widow that poses as a prostitute and has her own father-in-law lay with her and has a child. It's in your Bible. Genesis chapter 38. Go home and read it. Genesis 38. And Christ has that in his ancestry line. Now, if you're afraid of labels, I mean, the prostitute fact would have been one thing, but then in a conniving and under the vice of of trickery, getting her own father-in-law to lay in bed with her, and there's Perez and Zara, twin boys, huh? Or or how about how about we go a little further in the story, and then let's consider the Bathsheba. Uh, the Bathsheba who David looked upon as she was taking a bath. Bathsheba. That's not where she got her name, but it seems appropriate. Though. But uh, looks upon her. He lays with her. She becomes an adulteress. She, she, she is far removed in that moment from her marriage vows and her morals. And while she's doing all of this, her husband is out at war fighting for the protection and the freedom that she and the king are exercising. I'll put that in your mind for a moment. You're out there risking your life for their safety and their birds and bees in it. But she already married. 
Christ says, that's in my ancestry. Want to talk about labels? Want to talk about labels? Let's get Rahab, who wasn't posing as a prostitute, but was a lady of ill repute. Huh? Let's look at her. That's my ancestry. And then in all that, you know who you'll read and who we'll come to the conclusion of by the time we get done with Ruth next week? Ruth, the Moabitess, in his ancestry. The true redeemer, the true kinsman, isn't put off by your past. He says, I can take your past and incorporate it in my bloodline. Because he has always been the top at taking strangers and foreigners. And the New Testament says, making them fellow citizens of the saints of the household of God. He puts on them and gives them a name that is above every name. Stand with me and I'll... We'll <laughs> Now, sister, Sister Adams, I'm pinning that on you, sister. You turned to him and said in that moment, do it, Bob, do it. Yay! That was perfectly timed. I got to pause for a moment because that brings back to mind. Years ago at uh, the second church, and, and my grandpa Weisenberger was my mother's uh, father, we always had to eat when we ate together at gatherings and stuff, and we always, it's just the thing that you did. Ask the, like, ask the oldest person in the room, I guess. It felt like sometimes, but ask him to pray, and he prayed, and whenever Grandpa prayed, he prayed. Man, the food, the chicken, the egg the chicken came from, those shut-ins, people in the hospital, nursing home, the homeless in Atlanta, I mean, it went everywhere. He prayed, and whenever he finished praying, my mom, had, my, my mom had one of those clocks that said things at different hours and stuff, and it was a religious one, and he got to the very end and said amen, and that clock went off and went, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Son, it was, it was just almost as good with that. Yay! I'm not lying, but I appreciate the validation, you know. <laughs> so there was a personal cost to the role of the Redeemer, but to Boaz, it was worth it. Here's what I want to think about as we close tonight. Because what happened with Boaz is almost under the form of, you know, Boaz, if you'll be faithful over a few, I'll let you be ruler over many type of thing. Almost that type of mindset. If you'll be a good steward of being the redeemer with, with Ruth and Naomi and their lives, and then, then there's, there's bigger things for you. It seems to be a principle in Scripture. And so I'm asking myself, Brother Malone, if we could take the nameless kinsman to the New Testament, and if we could take him to look at Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ and read through it and see Ruth, Boaz, Obed, see all of them contained there. I wonder if he would pause Dakota and think for a moment whether or not Boaz's sacrifice, as he would term it, was worth it. Because the no name's not there. Boaz is. 
The one that was calculating is not there. The one that loved and said, it doesn't matter what it is, I love it. I love her. He's found there. So tonight, we, we are products of redeeming love. Your life, my life, we're products of redeeming love. We're products of, of a master that didn't sit down and crunch the numbers. Well, and he's all-knowing, right? I know they're going to fail this many more times. And, you know, they're going to have this hang up and that and so on. Probably going to look bad on my name. No. Hands free. He says, I want you. And I'll, I'll, I'll shed the same blood for you as I do for this other one that you consider not as bad. Same blood, same sacrifice, same cost for each and every. Can we bow our heads here tonight? It's a redeeming, a redeeming love. Hallelujah. The Lord is still willing to redeem tonight. Amen. The act of redemption, the price of redemption is already paid. Amen. And, and that blood is enough to take care of present day needs of redemption just as much as it is taking care of past needs of redemption. What I mean is this tonight. If you need redeemed, if you need redeemed, if you need bought back, if you need to be put in a better standing in this life than you presently are, the price has already been paid this evening. The price has already been paid. He loved you amen when you were unlovable and when you were more lovable it doesn't matter while we were yet sinners Christ died for us it's a redeeming love today hallelujah and he wants you to experience this this altar is open amen if it's been a while since you felt the love of God or if you have questioned the love of God in yourself amen I want you to know today that he is looking down upon you with eyes of compassion with eyes of love amen he wants just like Boaz did he wants to he wants to wrap this thing up he wants to make this thing happen he desires you he desires you hallelujah and he's able and willing to provide what is needed for your life amen he wants to incorporate you he wants to incorporate you into his family tree he wants to incorporate you amen into his family tree he wants you to be a part of his family it doesn't matter what your past label has been it doesn't matter what you have done it, it, it does matter he'll go through the law he'll take care of that he'll take all of those things upon himself and he'll die for it, amen, but his love is going to reach for you when you're not even reaching for him his love is going to come looking for you when you're not looking for him it's a redeeming love, it's unconditional it's unconditional it's unconditional hallelujah Jesus, it's a no matter the cost type of love no matter the cost hallelujah Hallelujah. Oh, if you're willing, we just raise your hands to the Lord right now. Someone might just need to say, here I am, God. Here I am, God. Here I am, God. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. It will not happen. It will not take place. Lord, this thing does not pan out without a redeemer. This thing does not pan out without redemption. I'm, I'm, I'm in a state of hopelessness. I'm under a law that cannot provide the answer for me. But I need redemption. I need a redeemer. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let God be your redeemer tonight. Let him be the answer to your situation, to your deliverance 
dilemma to your sin problem, your transgression problem, your iniquity problem, whatever you wish to term it, let him be the answer to that tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus, I need you, Lord. Yes, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Oh, come on, somebody. If you've already experienced the redemption of the Lord, you need to be thankful tonight. You need to have a heart of gratitude. You need to have a heart of gratitude. He's given you another day. He's given you land to live on. He, he's raised up, amen, some things, amen, to your name. He's added things to your life. He's added benefits. He's loaded you down because you've allowed him to be the redeemer for you hallelujah you are blessed you are you're highly favored you are you are so much more than what you would have been had it not been for him you need to thank him tonight thank you lord for your redemption thank you lord for loving me when i would have been unlovable thank you oh god thank you oh god Hallelujah, Brother Mason. I don't know if you have a song for any of this, but if so, you can play it right now. Let's talk to the Lord. It's a redeeming love, a redeeming love, a love that spans the gap, a love that spans the gap. Hallelujah, Jesus, I love you, Lord. Oh, he's there. He'll find you. <laughs> God, but I'm a, I'm a Moabitess. God, I can't even begin to even speak about some of the things of my past. He says, let me incorporate you into my family. and Cover my blood over that. I'm going to rewrite your story. I'm going to rewrite your story. That will always be a chapter, but I got some other chapters to add. It's not going to end the way that it started. It's not going to end the way it's... I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. It's not going to end the way that it started. I love you, Jesus. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.